Thank you for listening to the Faith Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. Today's sermon for the 12th Sunday after Trinity, September 4th, 2022, is preached by Pastor Jason Goodham. If you have questions or comments regarding today's message, please call the church office at 612-824-5527 or visit our website at faithlutheran-aflc.org. Good morning again. Special welcome to those of you who are visiting us this morning. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I would at this time invite you to stand as I read the gospel lesson appointed for this Sunday. The sermon text is taken from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35, can be found on page 1623 of your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Reading in Jesus' name, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Heavenly Father, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that this morning you would sanctify us in the truth, that you would convict us of sin in our lives where that is necessary, and that you would comfort and encourage us with the promises of your gospel. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you've ever played the opposite game with a small child, then you probably have a nice start to understanding how confusing this gospel lesson sounds. Did Jesus really just tell us to hate our father and our mother and our wife and our children and our brothers and sisters? Now, how could this possibly be? Jesus has spent a vast majority of his time teaching us to love our neighbors. And on top of that, families are given specific instruction for their roles and their responsibilities in multiple places in Scripture. The first recorded words of humanity are poetry written from a husband to his wife. Families get a spot in the Ten Commandments with the Fourth Commandment, there's an entire book in the Old Testament dedicated to the love between husband and wife. And then if you go into the New Testament, Paul over and over and over again writes about the responsibility of children to parents and husbands to wives and vice versa on both of those. So what on earth is going on? Maybe Jesus observes opposite day. Let's take our time this morning, turn our eyes back to Luke 14, and see what Jesus has to say about discipleship 
And why, if we look at Scripture with our eyes open, Jesus is not telling us to do the opposite, but Jesus is teaching us about discipleship. So first, in our lesson this morning, discipleship involves priorities. The first reality Jesus teaches us about in the Gospel lesson is easily the most difficult to understand because it seems to upend the entire law and Scripture. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So as we explain this, we need to start with the word hate. Now this is a figure of speech that would have made a lot more sense to Jesus' original Jewish audience than it does to us today. When we hear the term hate, we think about loathing, we think about despising, we think about making an individual moral assessment of someone and devaluing them based on that. We think about how Gophers fans think about Iowa Hawkeye fans or something like that, right? But that's not necessarily the case right here. In Jesus' parallel teaching in Matthew, Matthew kind of softens the blow for us so we understand it a little more. Matthew writes of Jesus' words, Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So perhaps an easier way of understanding this then isn't a matter of labeling one's emotions towards father or mother or wife or children or siblings. It's a matter of choice. It's a matter of priority. When it comes to the kingdom of God, will you prioritize your faith in Jesus or will you prioritize something or even someone else? That in itself creates a drastic realization, but it would have carried even more weight in ancient Middle Eastern hospitality and honor society where kinship was of utmost importance. Now, theologically speaking, what Jesus is talking about here is idolatry, about putting something more than him. It's first commandment business. But what we need to stop and realize is that even good and necessary things that God gives us can become idols and obstacles to our faith if we prioritize them over the work of God in our lives. And the outcome of this is that we are not fit to be disciples if we are idolaters. That's the thrust. That's the point. The second reality Jesus teaches about discipleship is that discipleship involves death. Now this overlaps the first truth somewhat. Jesus has already told us about hate, but at the end of that phrase, he says, even his own life. He then builds on that phrase and he says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The the blunt reality of this teaching is also drastic. As a disciple, you are called to die. 
Now, the immediate reaction of our mind is to understand Jesus as referring to martyrdom. And to some extent, he is. But the reality is that for many of us, at least up to this point, in America, martyrdom is only really an abstract notion. Even with deteriorating conditions as far as religious liberty is concerned, many of us will not likely be called to die for our faith in the way that Christians at other times, like during the the Roman Empire, or in other places like China or Baghdad or Afghanistan, we won't be called to do that yet. Might be coming that we will, but right now the odds are against that happening. But Jesus' words is for all Christians. It's for all disciples. And all Christians are still called to die. We are called to bear our cross, and we are called to lay down our lives. Now, this is the most basic level of Christian identity. And we begin to realize this level of Christian identity in our baptisms. You see, in baptism... You were put to death. Your sinful nature was drowned and you were raised a new creation. And now each day, as you live a life of repentance, you are called to put to death your sinful nature and to suffer because you are a Christian. Now sometimes that suffering looks like persecution. Looks like persecution if you're a baker in Colorado or a florist in Washington or a football coach told he can't pray. But more often, the suffering of your discipleship looks like vocation. Bearing your cross often looks like suffering for the sake of your neighbor. You are called to love your neighbor at the expense of yourself. Now, some of that is easy to identify. When you wake up in the middle of the night to change a dirty diaper or feed a crying baby, you can kind of identify that as suffering. Every sleep-deprived parent in here knows what that suffering looks like. But that suffering extends to every neighbor we have in every realm of our lives. If we want to do something, but instead should rather do something else for the sake of our neighbor, we need to die and love our neighbor instead. We need to suffer rather than to indulge. And in this way, you are called to bear your cross and you are called to die. And if you are unable to suffer, if you are unwilling to die, by Jesus' own admission, you are not fit to be his disciple. But finally then, Jesus teaches us, discipleship involves appreciating reality. The the final section of our gospel lesson this morning is one that is guaranteed to catch us off guard. As I prepared for the sermon this week, it was the portion of the gospel lesson that most perplexed me. But I believe that's because we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. And looking at it from the wrong perspective has been baked into the way we think about discipleship. 
I think, and as far as I can tell, this is unique to me, so take it with a grain of salt, but I think the entirety of this final section about discipleship hinges on the notion that is communicated in the word desire. So much of what the church today teaches about discipleship flows from this concept of desire. We, in the church, earnestly desire to follow Jesus. And in fact, you will find many that have admitted or do admit that we want to do big things for Jesus in service to him. And this is discussed over and over and over again until we can convince ourselves that the foundation of our faith is our sincere earnestness to be a disciple. But then Jesus asks us, He calls us, he commands us to count the cost. Look at the two images he uses in counting cost. One is to build a tower, and two is to make peace with a more powerful king. Now, if you look at the history of Scripture, building towers hasn't worked out so well for humanity. Go to the Tower of Babel. And humanity had gathered together to build a tower, and it became a matter of us approaching God with our wisdom and with our intentions and with our abilities. And in our pride, God would not allow us to finish. And then think about the second image Jesus uses. If discipleship is a matter of making peace with the more powerful king, and that's the direction the text is flowing, who do we think that's referring to? God is the more powerful king. We're not capable of making peace with God because we're miserable sinners. We can't earn God's favor through bribery or conditions or anything like that. So what is Jesus teaching us here ultimately about discipleship? I think Jesus' final lesson on discipleship is to throw us a gospel nugget and to get us thinking about our identities in Christ. Now you are called to suffer daily. You are called to die. You are called to prioritize everything in your life Upon God first and everything else second. You are called to count the cost. But if we look at our efforts, if we look at our desires, if we look at our practices, we will never take that cost because of our sin, because of our sinfulness and because of our sinful natures. We will always, in some way, shape, or form, come up short. And so the tower imagery and the king imagery teach us about the dangers of becoming discouraged when we can't, when we fail. But then consider the rest of Scripture and what it teaches us about the activity of God in Christ Jesus. We don't 
build. But God in Christ builds us into His church. We don't reconcile. But God, the more powerful king, the king for whom victory is assured, approaches us and gives us his term for peace. And his term for peace is the death of his son on the cross in our place for our forgiveness. The more powerful king comes to us and says, I give you peace. And the fundamental reality then of being a disciple is that Jesus himself, the teacher of what discipleship involves, by his death and by his resurrection and by his spirit and by his word, makes us disciples. And I believe that it's only in this reality that the last two verses of the gospel lesson make any sense Jesus kind of just changes the subject in mid-sermon, which sometimes he does, and he can do that because he's the Son of God. But we ought not to miss the lesson in this context shift. He says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is how I think it all ties together for us. If we lose our identities in Christ, we are not fit to be Jesus' disciples. Because in our identities in Christ, there we find our discipleship. There we find our call to be disciples. Because Christ himself by his cross, and by his empty tomb, and by his word, has made us disciples. Now the act of being a disciple has a high cost. It is demanding. It can even be intimidating. But the reality of being a disciple is first and foremost ultimately wrapped up in the reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. And that's a reality that should not intimidate us. It should not scare us. It should comfort us and give us peace and joy. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.